Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Here every week, win, lose, or draw. Talking all things United. This is the United People's Podcast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, what is better than a trilogy? A quadrilogy? Is, a quadrilogy? <laughs> is, that, is that a word? Is it quadrilogy? Well, I just made that up if it isn't. It's me and Ben. We're here to talk about the takeover of Manchester United. Uh, as a community, you seem to have responded pretty well to these interviews. And I like speaking to Ben, first of all. Second of all, I, I like gaining some insight into what's going on in what, in my opinion, is the most significant uh, event in Manchester United's recent history. The sale of the club, the takeover, the Qatari bid. We've now entered stage two. If you remember the conversation me and Ben had last week, we said that this, it's not its not a case of us like um, predicting the future, but it's a process and you can kind of understand how the process is going to happen, Ben. And we've just, we've now entered that second stage. First of all, how you doing? Very well. I like that we started the show with quadrilogy, which is indeed the word for four, if we were talking in films, but obviously when we've been speaking about Manchester United for much of the season, quadruple has also sufficed as well, we never said that. We United fans have never said quadruple. Just to, just to clarify, right? I suppose it's one of those, isn't it? Where if you're fighting on four fronts, it could be deemed to be a quadruple, but is a quadruple only three plus Champions League rather than Europa League? And that's the debate that I've had in a lot of groups. But hey, Manchester United have got one trophy, so I think that's the starting point. And obviously, even though the heavy loss, to- don't mention it. Don't we don't speak about it. It's not didn't happen. It didn't happen. Kind of- Cut it there, yeah. We're just I mean, talking not positive news. But yeah, positive news, takeover, very much positive at the moment, heading into phase two. And I think it's going to be busy, to be perfectly honest with you, between now and the end of the season in terms of all of the hurdles and stages and, of course, significant junctures. And on top of that, Manchester United are still going to be juggling a variety of things on the football field as well. Mm-hmm. So exciting times. It is exciting. So last time we, we, we spoke, Ben, we were speaking about stage two now stage two is where the full due diligence will take place it's uh according to matt lawton from the times i'm sure you can offer a little bit of insight into this from your end 
Uh, we're looking at uh, JBJ and the Qatari representatives, probably not JBJ himself, presumably, uh, but Qatari representatives will be going to Old Trafford. Same with Ineos representatives and two more bidders uh, that we don't quite know the identity of. I'm not sure we will find out at this point. But four bidders have been invited to Old Trafford to enter this second stage. Uh, what is it that you, that you know of this second stage about uh, the people that have been invited and to what it what this second stage really actually entails? What's going to be happening? Well, I think as we said the last time we spoke, it's a phased process, which is why in that initial period, it was important to be cautious because the suitors were being separated between credible and non-credible, not win or lose. And those that go forward start to now undertake a more significant process of due diligence. And we can talk about exactly what that means in a moment. And as a consequence, this is the really important part now because there's less suitors through and there's different kinds of bids. And as a consequence, at the end of this stage, you're going to first of all get the Glazers providing more of a sense, whether directly or through the rain group, in what direction they want to travel. And from the perspective of the suitors, particularly the two public ones that are looking to buy the club outright, we will understand how much, in all likelihood, higher they're prepared to go. But again, in due diligence, your offer can go up or down. And an indicative offer, therefore, shouldn't be deemed to be overly significant because it's non-binding. It's effectively a very superficial valuation with very limited data and nobody was ever going to show their hand too high. So stage one was about getting through to the next step and showing you're credible. You have the proof of funds and trying to pique the interest of both the Glazers and Manchester United. Stage two is about the Glazers with that S, which has always been important, becoming unified and determining whether they want to sell the club outright or go down another route. And they can't do that unless they get multiple options put through. So the volume of suitors into phase two is about providing the Glazers options and also creating a little bit of competitive tension, which is in the interest of both the Glazers and also Rain Group. And then after this next step, you will get a far more formal, if you like, or binding offer. And then we wait and see whether there's a third and fourth stage or only a third stage. If there's only a third stage, then from the suitors that have been put forwards, one group, as I said the last time we spoke, could be put through into a period of exclusivity in order to try and finalise something and therefore they would be the preferred bidder. And that would be very positive news from the perspective of Manchester United fans if it was any of the outright bids, because it would tell you pretty categorically that the Glazers were prepared to sell the football club entirely. And on top of that, it would showcase that some form of valuation has been met. It might not be exact. It could still change. And obviously, even in a period of exclusivity, things can fall through. But the point is, if there is a golf in valuation, there's also gamesmanship. And is that gamesmanship the suitors starting low, but always knowing they'll go higher? Or is that actually the Glazers putting an astronomical number out there, but then in this process, accepting that what the suitors are offering ballpark anyway is actually of exceptional value? And I've always said that financial insiders have repeatedly stated that twice the Chelsea sale price 
which would be 2.3 billion times two, so 4.6 billion is excellent value. So if anybody does go to that 5 billion or above mark, do the glazers come down? And that is for all parties to understand. And due diligence in its most simple terms is really about putting everyone on a level playing field because the suitors have got a valuation without crunching the numbers, whereas the Glazers have got a valuation and they're aware of all of Manchester United's numbers. And as a consequence, once everybody has done their due diligence, each party plus the Glazers will be talking pretty much knowing the same knowledge. And as a result, there is far more chance, therefore, of a genuine deal being done. Mm -hmm. So this is the sort of dynamic at the moment. Now, if there is a fourth stage, then it will be because much like the Chelsea sale from the suitors put through, perhaps two might go to what is termed a final stage. And then from that final stage, you would get one and an exclusive period. And the other thing to note about an exclusive period is it can still be done on the Glazers' timescale. So with Chelsea, even though that was a very different kind of sale and there was urgency behind it and there was government involved, the period of exclusivity was only around three weeks. And it put pressure, therefore, on the preferred bidder, Clear Lake Bowley, to get the deal done in time for the end of May, because that was when Chelsea's license was due to expire. But in this case, Rain Group and the Glazers could say it's a short period of exclusivity because we want it done before the season is out, or because we've got another suitor waiting that we're also prepared to do business with. And then finally, before I guess we go into what due diligence is, mm -hmm. just worth pointing out that from the two public bidders, we have Sir Jim Ratcliffe, for those that are unfamiliar, Ineos will be the company that is hopeful of coming into Manchester United. So there is some clarity needed on the relationship, therefore, between Manchester United and Nice in terms of the structure of that offer. But it is an outright bid for Manchester United. So a lot of people are talking about it only being 69%, which is 100% of the Glazers' stake. But my understanding remains that Sir Jim Ratcliffe wants to do exactly the same as Sheikh Yassim and take 100% of the club. He's just saying he's being more right. precise because you can't guarantee the delisting of all of the public shares, whereas Sheikh Yassim feels like he will be able to delist all the public shares. So he's talking about 100%. And then from Sheikh Yassim's perspective, it's an all or nothing bid, which means that perhaps unlike Sir Jim Ratcliffe, if the Qatar Group 92 Foundation is not successful in taking all of the Glazers' stake and then obviously endeavouring to get the delisting, they won't compromise. So that doesn't mean, by the way, if they don't delist the public shares, that they'll walk away because they'd already be in the club. And that hypothetically could be an extreme possibility, but a very unlikely one. But what they're saying is that if the Glazers turn around and say it's minority or we want to stay in any capacity, then Sheikh Yassin will walk away, whereas Sir Jim Ratcliffe might be more open to that type of possibility. And then yeah. with the other two groups that we know of, but there may well be more coming through, but from the two that we know of, I'm told that there is one very strong group from North America, and then there is a variety of investors that are prepared to either pair with those that are in the race or support the Glazers to go down a different kind of 
route. And this is very normal to have minority options, potentially even majority options, laddered options, which is where somebody comes in and slowly increases their state over time, and outright options, because yep. that allows the Glazers to not only bring lots of different strategic possibilities to put internally to ultimately what still is a divided family, but also use that volume of bids as leverage. And whereas Qatar have always said that they won't be bidding against mystery rivals and they won't be forced into gamesmanship of going higher because this is not a transfer, it's a takeover. It clearly helps the hand of the Glazers and the Rain Group to have a higher volume of bidders and options in order to try and create that leverage. And leverage isn't only about price. Leverage can be also about doing things on their timescale and also their terms. So if they present, for example, a option to an outright bidder where they stay in some capacity, then suddenly you have a scenario where the outright bidder might choose to cave on something. And that's not to say that they would keep the Glazers as the majority or controlling owner. But yeah. let's just say hypothetically, if four of the Glazers wanted to leave and two of them wanted to stay in Avram and Joel, then is there any scenario where an outright bidder under pressure, particularly I would have thought Sir Jim Ratcliffe says, well, okay, I'll actually only buy 59% of your stake. I'll be the majority owner and I'll leave you with 10. And we're talking hypothetically, so I don't want people to think that that's happening because Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Sheikh Yassim are only thinking about outright 100% bids at this point. But I'm just trying to yeah. relay so people understand how the negotiations can work based on other takeovers and how much finesse and games there are to these behind closed doors talks. Now, uh, before we start recording, uh, Ben, you let me know that you've you've got a call lined up with uh, your Qatari sources a little bit later on today. Uh, we're hearing, uh, as I said, Matt Lawton from The Times, Mike Keegan, who actually was the, if I can remember correctly, the first journalist to actually lead with the conversation around a full takeover bid coming from Qatar. Prior to that, it was always about minority investment. That's where the QIA, the QSI conversations were all centered around. Uh, it, it, have you, what are you hearing from the Qatari side and, and are you expecting any sort of, I suppose, major updates or is this going to be, is it at this stage of the process where we shouldn't really expect too much to be coming out and it's going to kind of go behind closed doors and it might take a little bit longer because they're looking at the full books? Yeah, we can start with the books and then move on to Qatar. So due diligence is a complicated process and it's not only about looking over numbers and then making what is a far more concrete offer. It's also about appointing independent valuers because suitors won't just want to take Manchester United's word for everything. And it's about working out what everyone else that sees the same numbers as you will interpret them as and therefore it informs what number you choose to place. Because if any suitor feels that there's healthy competition, they're conscious of not only valuing the numbers at face value and based on independent valuations, they're also looking at what their rivals might do. And that's what makes this a very atypical takeover process because it's far more like tender. Most takeovers will have groups talking and then rather than racing against each other with deadlines, just going straight to the source, straight to the owners. And then if the parties feel they can do business, they enter into a period of often exclusivity and they get the deal done without 
any real pressure. Whereas this is far more of a race, which means that within the due diligence, you do have to think about what might a rival bid. And then within due diligence, you're looking at things like liabilities, debt, you're costing up potential renovations for Carrington, you're looking at stadium redevelopment, you're looking at player contracts, and that will include things like bonuses, increases if Manchester United make Champions League football, you're also looking at commercial deals, IP rights, and you're doing tax due diligence as well. So it's about a lot, a lot of tax due diligence, but it's yeah. about there's no skeletons in the closet. It's yeah. about working out what could change at the club after you walk in. And it's about determining what you would actually have to spend once inside. So there's a lot of focus at the moment about what it costs to buy Manchester United, but what about what it costs to run Manchester United? And what about any unpaid bills? What about any liabilities? What about costs that might creep out the woodwork? What about any increases in wages, bonuses? What about Marcus Rashford's contract and so on? And some of these might sound a bit extreme, but it all just depends how far along the line Manchester United are because clubs plan two windows ahead and that extends to the commercial side as well. So Manchester United could be locked into things that are not in the public domain. A sponsorship deal could be ending that we don't know about or replaced. A pre-season tour can already have been allocated and paid for. A transfer can be pre-agreed and we don't necessarily know about it. And this leans itself towards surprises unless you comb through the books. So it's an enormous process and you have to do that with independent valuers and reasonably quickly, but reasonably quickly, even by takeover standards is a month. And sometimes due diligence takes two or three months. So what'll be interesting is to see whether or not much like with Chelsea, the rain group try and put a hard deadline on it and basically say your due diligence is to some extent staggered or split whereby we want you to run over the numbers and make a firmer offer and then we'll put someone through into an exclusive period and at that point you'll do more due diligence and that's where things may become finalized and then at, at that point it's sort of more in the control of whoever becomes yeah. the third bidder because once you're in an exclusive period you know the glazers in theory want to do the deal so you can slow things down and do things on your term so i think that everyone sort of accepts that the end of the season or just before it is an ideal timescale if anything gets done, but nobody's putting a specific, it must be done by a certain date. And okay. this whole narrative around it could be done by the end of March, I think has always been, as I've said many times when we've spoken, highly ambitious. And then from yeah. the perspective of Qatar, coming back to the other part of your question, yeah. it's an all or nothing bid. I've said that many times. It's very unlikely that Sheikh Yassim would be part of any face-to-face -face talks in Manchester because this is not really about the Glazers and the face of the 9-2 foundation, which is Sheikh Yassim at the moment, holding direct talks to sort of say what's possible. It's more about the group's understanding the process. What do they have to do? Who are their points of contact if they've got any questions? How do they get into the data center? What do they do with any information afterwards? Because Manchester United, when they've shared data in the past, always had a kind of 
timed access and then anything you had had to kind of be destroyed almost. Whereas mm -hmm. so far we've seen more the NDA route, which I'm sure will continue, but Manchester United will want to make sure the more data they share, the more protected they are in terms of anything getting out. So it's basically lawyers and to some extent executives within the Rain Group and Manchester United holding what I would almost term a summit to get everybody started on the in-depth due diligence and then for the groups to understand what if they've got any questions or clarifications, can they have any more face-to-face -face meetings, how quickly do things have to be done because the groups have been in the dark and usually with the takeover, if it was now this far along, they'd be well into their due diligence. So I think a number of the groups that I speak to have been concerned to some extent about this drive to get it done as quick as possible versus the lack of data actually physically in their hands because it's an enormous task. And then from there, the 9-2 Foundation are expected to clarify a bit more their makeup over the coming months. So the groups have been warned pretty categorically not to be over the top on PR, not to use wording about restoring the glory of Manchester United because that's termed and deemed derogatory towards the Glazers. And it's not the best things to be saying when ultimately you've got to do business with the Glazers, even if you're going to buy them out 100%, to be talking in a way where you say, as soon as we come in, we're going to do things that are more popular than the Glazers. We're going to get more glory than the Glazers. It can rile the existing ownership to some extent. And I think the groups have been told not to go down that line of saying, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to spend. And as a consequence, it will be more about transparency from the groups, which they're fully entitled to do, to say, this is why structurally we're okay within UEFA. This is who our makeup is. This is where the genesis of our bid has come from, because these are things that don't really irk Manchester United, because they're not about what you'll do after you come in. They're about how things have come about and who you are. And that transparency for Qatar has been very important because when this process first started, it was about Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who we've known for a while, even before this process started, wanted to buy Manchester United. Manchester United fan, and it's very easy to get a grasp of who he is and also who Ineos are, and he's got existing ties within football. So like Jim Ratcliffe or loathe Jim Ratcliffe, it's been obvious for quite some time he's wanted to buy Manchester United, whereas Qatar was just Qatar. And once it's only Qatar, it's a country. And once it's a country, it will have all kinds of different interpretations from, oh, they hosted the World Cup, to sports washing, to a lack of inclusion, to human rights, to QSI and PSG, to now Sheikh Yassim. And it was very important, therefore, for the 9-2 Foundation to make it clear that it's a Sheikh Yassim bid, not a Qatar bid. And we as journalists have to put scrutiny on that because it's obvious that the strategy is still driven by the Emir and has wider strategic yeah. or government goals behind it. But at least now it's Sheikh Yassim, he's a Manchester United fan. It's Jim Ratcliffe, he's a Manchester United fan. It's a little bit clearer. And over time, I expect them to clarify the makeup of the 9-2 foundation. And then the last point you raised about how long will this take and are we going to get much clarity? I think 
time-wise, a month is about the quickest you can do due diligence in, and two to three months is a norm. So the rain group are obviously trying to get it done as quick as possible, but if it runs its average course, then it might be the early part of April, or it could be towards the beginning of May, and then we're suddenly having a Chelsea-style mad scramble in the next three weeks thereafter to try and get something done before the end of the season. And I think that's feasible. But obviously, it all just depends on what the group see in the due diligence and how many questions they have, which is what the next two or three weeks are all about. And then at the end of the second stage, it is likely that there'll be a radio silence, that the groups will put in a more formal offer, that the rain group and the glazers will have a bit of engagement on it to try and no doubt drive it up a little bit, which is something you do. Even if you get a fantastic offer, you're always trying to get a little bit more. That's just the nature of this negotiation. And then there's those two options. Like I said before, either two will get put through and become one very quickly, or one will get put through straight into a period of exclusivity, at which point it's likely to get a whole lot more public. And Manchester United at that point, and Chelsea did this, could release a statement at that point saying the group is in an exclusive period and we hope to agree an acquisition of some kind or an investment of some kind very quickly. It's more likely if it's an outright bidder that will happen. If it's a minority investor, I would expect more of a radio silence because if the Glazers stay as the controlling yeah. owner of the club, then radio silence until it's done is far more likely. But if an outright bid is looking like it's going to happen, at that point, I would expect the statement and a joint one on behalf of both the successful bidder to get to that stage and Manchester United. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With, uh, with the Chelsea takeover, obviously because Rain Group was the group who led the Chelsea takeover and are leading the Manchester United takeover. <clears throat> Do you think it's fair to draw comparisons on, at this point, we're entering the second stage and obviously Chelsea have gone through that too. Do you think there's parallels that you can draw between the two? Or do you think the fact that with everything that was going on with Abramovich and Chelsea and the sort of external forces making that go a lot quicker, do you think that the timescales really won't be the same and the situations won't be the same? Well, the parallel is just the fact that a takeover can be done quickly and Rain know how to get things done at super speed. And if there's a desire as things progress from all parties to get things done before the end of the season or at the end of the season, because that's the best transition, then there's a strong possibility that everything will be pushed 
with an element of pressure similar to the Chelsea takeover to try and get things done as quickly as possible. But if it takes longer, it takes longer because, as you say, there's not the same urgency or the same government involvement as there was with the Chelsea takeover. So the parallel is its rain group and the way that this process is being done is structured in quite a similar way of first indicative offers and proof of funds of a shortlisting of a significant due diligence that might have a slightly harder deadline of a more concrete offer and then of a singular suitor or possibly two going head to head into that third stage and then an exclusive period. But once you get to that final stage, much like I think I said before with John Textor at Leon, it can have hitches. It can have more of a back and forth. It can have more than one deadline. And it's very common within a standard takeover to have a period of exclusivity and call it, for example, a month in order to fully complete the deal. But then as that month comes to an end, say we're going to extend it by another month and then a third month. And that's just because once you get to that point, the party looking to buy or invest in the football club has a lot more control because they know that the seller, the Glazers in this case, actually either want out or to have that money come in. So then you're really combing through everything in as much detail as possible because otherwise it's quite an irresponsible purchase, especially at this value. So we can draw some parallels between Chelsea because some of the investors around Chelsea were interested, may still be interested in Manchester United. It's the same group. And at the moment, it's actually run a a relatively similar timescale. So people forget that Roman Abramovich announced that he was going to be departing from Chelsea due to the war in Ukraine. He obviously had no choice in March. And then Chelsea ended up officially in the hands of Clear Lake Bowley at the end of May. So that was three months Now, the Manchester United process since that original statement has dragged on longer, but is still very fast by takeover standards. I always say that if you were just looking to invest in a club, it's a bit like having a kid. You would like and usually need about nine months. So once this process stopped just sharing information and seeking people who were out there, which if we stick with my analogy is really just like dating. I'm too old to be, by the way, on these swiping apps. And I've got another Swiping apps. <laughs> I shouldn't be talking about these things, but I'm aware of these swiping <laughs> apps without giving anyone free publicity. And if you swiping look at the part of the stage of the Manchester United sale, it's a little bit like that. Manchester United are there on one of these swipey apps and they're saying, come and find us, come and date us. And suitors are effectively making inquiries and deciding whether to swipe right or swipe left. And then if they swipe right, it's a match and they get a bit more information. And that's taken up a lot of the early part of the process. But once we've actually got to the more rigid, formalized, meaningful stage one, it's really only been a couple of months. And Chelsea also was about a month for that stage. Then stage two for Chelsea was really, really quick because time was running out. Whereas with Manchester United, it might be a month. And if so, the parallel with Chelsea continues, but it could be two or three months. And then obviously the final stage, it simply depends on how difficult within that period of exclusivity, the final parts of any deal are. So again, in a normal nine month takeover with a singular party, as you do the due diligence 
and you realize things are heading in the right direction, you're often also preparing all the paperwork to get things done. So things are happening simultaneously. And in Chelsea's case, other things away from just negotiation were happening in terms of government communication and even the Premier League soft testing potential successful groups because they realized they were running out of time. None yeah. of that's happened with Manchester United. I'd be staggered if the Premier League is saying, we're going to test Qatar now to make sure there's no problems. We're going to find out whether Sir Jim Ratcliffe is going to be staying as is with Nice or ultimately selling or some kind of halfway house between the two. And it's the same with UEFA as well, who would have to be satisfied by the model. I don't think that Manchester United and Rain Group will be sharing enough information with those wider stakeholders in terms of specifics anyway, to speed this up because there is no absolute deadline and the Glazers first want to take their time and work out what their approach is because there does remain some scepticism, particularly with Avram and Joel, about their appetite to leave now in a total sense. And as a consequence, we can't get ahead of ourselves. First of all, the Glazers have to decide what they want. Then from the due diligence, they have to see what the more concrete offers are and do they meet the valuation. Then if they put someone through to a period of exclusivity, it becomes very encouraging because it tells you that a deal can actually happen. And also, if it's an outright bidder, the, the Glazers have decided they're prepared to sell 100% of the club. And then UEFA, Premier League and any external stakeholders will become involved within the... If I can ask, if I can ask Ben, the, um, the bids themselves, that period of exclusivity, uh, do the bids go in before that period? Or did the bids come at the end of that period of exclusivity? And also, uh, the kind of a tying in question to that, uh, are they seal bids or is it public? Like, will, will for example, JBJ and the Qatari, will they know what Ineos are putting, are putting forward? Or is that just going to be information that the Glazers have to hold? Uh, they're going to hold themselves? Well, we'll see games over the valuation. I mean, all of the groups will try and find out as best they can what another rival may bid. And I suppose that's the only vague comparison with a transfer as well, where you place an offer and you use your network and your scouting system in that capacity to try and find out how the market might move. So people talk and there'll be whispers, but nothing will be formally shared. And this is where the gamesmanship comes back in again, because of course the Glazers, particularly with mystery groups or bidders, will drum up the fact that they've got interest to a higher number mm -hmm. to try and provoke competitive tension. And Qatar have made it abundantly clear, certainly sources that I've spoken to, that they're not going to be tricked or forced into some kind of mystery bidding war. And I think what gives Qatar confidence is that they know that their valuation already is in all likelihood higher than Sir Jim Ratcliffe. And Ratcliffe, before this process started, had spoken quite publicly about his desire to buy the club and also, broadly speaking, what he valued it at. And as a consequence, I think that Sheikh Yassim feels like he's already higher than Sir Jim Ratcliffe. So they're not worried, Qatar, about being outbid. But the worry is that you don't just have to table the highest offer. You also have to table a number at which the Glazers are prepared to sell. And that's what makes it very interesting. You could get to even 5.5 billion and the Glazers could say, actually, no, we've qualified for Champions League or that's looking likely. We've won a trophy, maybe more than one this season. Therefore, we've decided now it's 7 billion or we won't sell. And this is the twofold nature of negotiations. Mm -hmm. You've got to satisfy the Glazers and you've got to 
be the most competitive out of all of the different groups involved. And as I've said many times, the Glazers may find more alluring a minority bit that values the club very highly and keeps them at the football club as well. So there's a lot of moving parts at this stage, which is why I repeatedly say we shouldn't look at this like a transfer. And I know that people listening will just say that Ben Jacobs, he talks a lot. And all we want to know is who's the favourite, who's going to win, what amount, when's it going to happen? And anyone telling you that at this point is looking for clicks without understanding the staggered process of this takeover. So yes, Qatar are confident and some are terming them the favourites. But how can you really call someone a favourite before they've done any due diligence, they're aware of Manchester United's numbers or they've made a concrete offer? All that's happened is an indicative bid. And what makes people feel in certain sectors like Qatar are the favourites is they've got that financial muscle and they've got that desire to go all in. Yeah. And that comes back to what you said before, that because strategically, even if this is Sheikh Yassim and it's his bid, not a Qatar bid, and it's always going to be billed that way so as not to create conflict that this is actually the Emir. And again, as journalists, we have to dig a little yeah. deeper to make sure that that stands up. But this is about Qatar's broader desire post-World Cup to go for a Premier League team. So as you said before, because it was QSI originally and as I exclusively broke, they were talking to Spurs. And because lots of options were being discussed, when it was established that it would be an outright bid for Manchester United, that tells you that not just Sheikh Yassim, but everyone connected to Qatar and sport are deadly serious about this. So they're all in on the bid but they're also all in on that desire to win because this is about Qatar fulfilling that need and desire and willingness to get a big Premier League club of sorts, which is much bigger than just Manchester United. They've settled on Manchester United, but lots of different stakeholders have explored lots of different routes off the back of the World Cup. So by settling on Manchester United, it's not a decision that's been taken lightly. Now, that's not to say that others are involved. It's to reiterate again that you have the decision to bid and now you have the bid. And the decision to bid was about lots of stakeholders, not influencing Manchester United, but influencing the bid, saying, what's our strategy? Who should we go for? Nasser Al-Khalifi, go and speak to Daniel Levy. QIA, look at the sports landscape, because maybe at that point it would have been done through a more front-facing, government-backed sovereign wealth fund. And eventually, all these different stakeholders in a very complicated and ever-changing process settled upon the fact that they were either going to back off and stop those talks potentially with Spurs, or they were going to endorse, not in a financial sense, but in a blessing almost, the strategy of allowing Sheikh Yassim to proceed. And then from that point, you get a fragmentation whereby everyone that knew about it, everyone that's got input is no longer directly involved because there would be conflicts in many cases. Yeah. So we have to now work out what the makeup is and who's really behind it. And Manchester United fans will want that transparency as well. But the process to bid was more important than the actual bid itself and far more complicated because it involved green lights from the very top. Now those green lights have been achieved. It's just about 
a process controlled and run by Rain Group and Manchester United rather than those wider stakeholders within Qatar. But that gives you an indication that they're serious because so many significant people have been involved and there's obviously the funding behind it as well and they want 100% of the mm -hmm. football club. So then moving forwards into this next yeah. stage, we do have to be careful about using transfer terms like front runners and favourites because it's still relatively early stages. But what we know is there's the appetite to succeed. There's big plans if Sheikh Yassim does so for the football club. For balance and fairness, we should say that Jim Ratcliffe has a lot of the same goals as well in terms of investing in the women's team, developing Old Trafford and also improving the facilities at Carrington as well. Both of the public outright bidders want to renew Marcus Rashford's contract. That could even be done before they come in as well because the Glazers have allocated that budget as well. And both those outright groups are backing Eric Ten Hag. They appreciate that there's a new era starting and they want to give the manager the financial backing in a window if that's this summer window or beyond. And also they want to ensure that the culture of the club changes. And by culture of the club, yeah. it's likely in the case of Sheikh Yassim anyway, that much like Chelsea, there'll be a hundred day review. And then we might start to see upheaval at board level, at recruitment level. And of course, over the course of a summer window at player level as well, in terms of incomings and outgoings, but mm -hmm. just don't be surprised if, the numbers themselves don't come out and anyone sort of telling you a specific number either is best mates with somebody very, very high within Qatar royalty or is guessing. That's the truth. And I know as journalists, we should be coming on here and saying we know all and we've got all of the answers, but you don't as a journalist you develop relationships and you try and provide balance. And that requires these longer answers because it's a complicated yeah. transaction. But my understanding is that three people know the exact number of Qatar's indicative offer. Three people. That's it. One will be the Emir of Qatar. One will be Sheikh Yassim. And then some people posit that his father is the other one. But three people know so when they were talking about what to bid, there were obviously more people involved, such as lawyers, and there were options presented to the most senior decision makers in terms of what's fair, what's competitive, what's valuable. So of course, there'll be plenty of lawyers and executives that know what those options were. But the final decision of what to bid was three people, two in a room, from what I'm told, and then in all likelihood, the Emir of Qatar being aware of that number as well. And everyone is sworn to secrecy. So as I've reported pretty consistently, two times the Chelsea price is said by sources to be the ballpark. Some people are saying now 5 billion, still not my understanding. And it's very easy to round up a number. It's very easy to get excited because everyone somehow thinks that that might be the number that gets accepted. But again, very cautious because an indicative offer can go up or down and it doesn't mean a great deal until that due diligence yeah. is done. And in the second stage, when more final offers are made or more concrete numbers are discussed, those are unlikely to be public simply because whoever then is put through to the next stage can still change that offer, can still continue to do due diligence. And it's very normal in a takeover we saw it with Chelsea right at the last minute for the number to go up 
or down once again. So Chelsea was actually about 2.5 billion and it dropped to 2.3 billion. And there was a period of discussion as well over tax liabilities. And that also saw a chunk of money held back because it was clear to the incoming group at Chelsea that they might have to pay a tax bill that they were not aware of earlier in the process. So don't read too much into the numbers. The most important thing is about the Glazers putting someone through to stage three. And the reason for that is because it will either be a singular bidder in an exclusive period or anyone into stage three, we will know they're serious. And if in stage three, they put the two outright bidders through or one of them, then we have our answer that the Glazers are genuine about being prepared to sell 100% of the football club, which would be celebrated. You're That's already what celebrated. we want. That's what we want. It's one outright bidder, one minority investor. There's no clarity. If it's yeah. one minority investor and they're into the exclusive period, it tells you that they don't want to sell the football club. So it's not really about these offers at this point. It's about the due diligence allowing for an accurate valuation. And then at that point, there's no more that any suitor can do. The Glazers yeah. will then look at that knowing that it's ballpark what they're going to get. And whoever they put through, and that's the bit that might then become public, is telling because we then know categorically whether the Glazers are prepared to exit Manchester United Football Club or have found a different option to stay. Well, let's hope they don't find that different option to stay. That's genuinely, uh, that's that's worse than any sort of performance that Anfield could ever be. <laughs> no, really. uh, damn it, I've, I've mentioned the football again. It's my fault. I've gone back to it. But Ben. Yeah, you told me off mentioning it. Yeah, look, you, you, can you tell me you off now? Bringing it up. You should tell me off. Look, I, I really enjoy these chats because it's clear that you're clued in uh, on, on this whole massively complicated takeover uh, from the Qatari side and also from the Ineos side. I think people appreciate it. Uh, the community here on United People's TV understands that these things can take time. It isn't just about clicks. Sometimes it can take a longer bit of content and a longer conversation to get to where you want. But we've, this, as I said, it's our fourth conversation now. Hopefully the fifth conversation. But well, let's let's see how it's, this develops, right? But maybe the conversation you're going to have today will lead to some breakthroughs, and we can have another conversation later in the week. Maybe it will be in a week or two, and we're going to have to sort of sit tight. But it's exciting either way for United fans. It's something that we've waited for for a long old time, and it is still. No matter how bad we've been, Manchester United is still, in my opinion, one of the top three biggest clubs in the world, up there with Barcelona and Real Madrid. So when we do get sold. Hopefully, 100% of us. I think it will be a record bid for a sports team. Uh, and I'll speak to you about the whole process the whole way through. No doubt we're going to speak some more, Ben. Yeah, I'll look forward to it. I think the final thing I would say is touching upon what you've just said there. That's the paradox in all of this. Manchester United, huge club, huge fan base, succeeding under Eric Ten Hag, trophy in the cabinet this season and always be, even when the club hasn't had the best results, a massive global brand in and outside of sport. Mm. So when you paint it all out like that, but then you have the unpopular Glazers, they can almost play off that unpopularity. And therein lies the paradox that the reason the Glazers don't like groups talking about restoring glory and fixing things and improving things, and modernizing things. Yes, is because it's true, but in being true, it's untapped potential and it's untapped value. 
And if the Glazers privately appreciate, yes, with a redeveloped stadium, we go up in value. Yeah, obviously with success in Champions League football and winning Premier Leagues, we go up in value. With stability of manager, we go up in value. With potentially board upheaval, we go up in value. With brand modernization and further globalization, we go up in value. And if deep down they realize that they haven't funded that or they haven't had the appetite or the ability to do that, then they simultaneously are triggered by people saying, we can do better than the Glazers, we can restore glory, but they may appreciate behind closed doors that that is what is needed. And as a result, if they choose to stay, they have to do that. But if they choose to go, this is why they're asking for such a high number because actually they're well aware of the areas that they could have done better in terms of improvements. And that's the paradox in all of this in a strange way, that when you have such a big club like Manchester United with a great fan base, amazing history and tradition, and you know all these areas that could still be improved, the Glazers will almost be saying, if we are to let the club go, we're well aware that by doing X, Y, and Z as soon as you come in, over a period of time, you can turn this club that you think is 4.5 billion or so into 6, 7 billion. And we want that 6, 7 billion now because we already think it's worth that because the things you'll have to do are either relatively obvious or routine, or even if they take time and money, will provide you with a return. I think everyone yeah. knows better. Yeah, the, the, way, the way I've compared that before, Ben, is so I, look, I've got a lovely hypothetical here. I've got a lovely three bed house and I know full well, if I put an extension on the back of that, this house is going to be worth more, but I'm not willing to pay for it. However, I want you to pay me the value of it. If that hypothetical thing didn't exist. That's not based in reality. That's based in fantasy. And that, that I know the point you're getting at here, and this is probably why it's going to be complicated conversations, because it is so damn obvious how to make money out of Manchester United. You have to invest, spend money to make money, the classic cliche. It's true. Like the, the, the investment opportunities at United are really clear. Old Trafford, Carrington, investing in the first team, bringing success back, and then the, and the money will follow. But you can't... If you um, use if you like use your property analogy, I don't think it's only about the Glazers saying, we don't want to renovate or spruce up the property, but we want you to pay the value that it's worth. I think it's more about the Glazers saying, we've seen the numbers on your property and we know what it costs to do all the things you're talking about. And we also have a valuation as to, by investing in that, what it will lead to. And what they're saying is almost, if it costs X, a smaller number, even if in actual terms, it's a massive amount of money. If it costs X to do all these things at Manchester United, then we believe that Y will be your valuation and it's much higher than X. And we believe that because we've seen the numbers. We believe that because we've costed it up. So you're absolutely right in what you say that they don't want to do that. They don't want to put their money where their mouth is seemingly, but to an outright bidder, they're basically saying, we know what needs to be done. We know it costs X and we know that the return will be Y. So we're basing our valuation on the Y because we know that although you'll have to spend X, it's a smaller number than the Y. And I think that that will be a very specific argument to an outright bidder because yeah. it's about the Glazers leaving and then 
wanting to make sure that they cash in at what they perceive to be the right level. And that right level might be pie in the sky. What I think is quite intriguing is with a minority investor where they'd have to coexist with the Glazers is a completely different scenario because they're actually then saying to that minority investor, come in and work with us and spend with us and look at all these amazing projections whereby you could earn that why, but you could do it with us. And it's only going to cost you, even though it's billions of pounds, it's only going to cost you X to work with us and give us that money and help develop. And then this will be your return. And again, I come back to just what I said before, which is a lot of this from the Glazers might be fantasy. It might be gamesmanship. It might be negotiation tactics. But in essence, you have to understand that the Glazers are simply trying to get the best possible value. And if it's just being greedy, that's all it is. It's just being greedy or it's a desire to stay and have somebody else invest and develop at the same time. Have somebody else spend the money so you don't have to. They want to have their cake and eat it. They either want to get the most astronomical number and say goodbye Manchester United or they want to stay at Manchester United and have someone else foot the bill. It's the most Glazer exit you could ever possibly imagine. And (laughs) it really, really is. And and, and there's still part of me at the back of my mind that is worried about that idea that they might find somebody crazy enough to just go, oh yeah, there's two billion. Go on then. I'll just sit and wait and watch you spend my two billion and hope that in X amount of years I get Y back. I hope they don't find the person who is genuinely crazy enough to do that. But, you know, I can't rule it out. But Ben, we'll we'll wrap this one up because we've got to save it for part five. What's, is that, is, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's the word for part five? Is that, is that quint, quintology? Is that a thing? Oh, Lord. Five part. I think quint, is it quintuple? Well, quintuple would be the football term, wouldn't it? Well, we're going to have to find out what it is. <laughs> I don't know how many films. Oh, geez, what is it like? Nightmare on Elm Street. There's loads of those. A five-part film series. There's got to be a word for a five-part film series. Anybody listening, if you know what it is, reach out to me or reach out to Ben on Twitter at Jacobs Ben, and I'm sure you can let us know. But until <laughs> until we figure out, we won't put a name on it. But Ben, as always, man, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, we're in this stage two. This is exciting. Let's find out how long it's going to take to stage three. There's a lot of moving parts. We can't put a date on that as much as we'd like to. But when there is more information, you know where to come here on United People's TV. Uh, and also follow Jake, uh, Ben Jacobs on Twitter at Jacobs Ben. That's right, isn't it? At Jacobs Ben. You've not got your at Twitter Jacobs handle ben. back. Yeah, exactly. Got, you haven't got your Twitter handle back yet, have you? Uh, no, nobody's given me Ben Jacobs. No followers, no posts, no profile picture, nothing since I think about 2008. And yet Devastating news. Hold the Ben Jacobs handle, which is <laughs> scandalous, really. But uh, I'm happy enough with Jacobs Ben for now. Right. But anyway, mate, I appreciate your time as always. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, episode uh, and I hope you've learned a thing or two because I certainly have. Take it easy, everyone, and take it easy, Ben. All the best. This is a United People's TV and Listening Dog Media production. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.